thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to 100 Not Out, featuring your hosts, Dr. Damien Christoph and Marcus Pierce. Out, a weekly show dedicated to helping you master the art of aging well. My name is Marcus Pierce, and I am here with the sensational king of the mountains himself. He is the co-founder of the Wellness Couch and the Wellness Guide, Dr. Damien Christoph. Marcus, how are you? I'm well. Are you the king of the mountains? No, not at all. Never have been. I don't think I ever will be. Um, although, in saying that, it's a bit defeatist, so maybe I might be, particularly after this interview, because there's... There's some inspiration coming our way, Marcus Damo, Pierce. I'm not sure if you remember, but if you cast your mind back, I'm sure you remember. I do remember. I'm sincerely hoping. Gosh, if I did it. Have, uh, have heard this wonderful interview that we did. It was over 70 episodes ago, and it was the powerful number seven, episode number seven of wow. 100 Not Out. We did wow. an interview with a wonderful clinical psychologist from Melbourne by the name of Jan Smith, but it wasn't clinical psychology that was on the menu. We were talking to Jan because she had become the oldest Western woman in the world to scale the almighty Mount Everest. She reached the summit on her 68th birthday. This was all 68. part of a plan. That's yeah. right, 68. This was all part of a plan to reach the seven highest peaks in seven continents by birthday number 70. But then I was amazed, Damo, that mm. as a trained journalist, I didn't see Jan's name bobbing up more often in the media. And I thought this was because of two things. It was partly lazy journalism, and yes. I can see why journos can be a bit lazy. But I think... They want the, they want the low-hanging fruit. That's what they that, want. They don't, right. they don't have to climb the mountains. That's right. And I thought there was poor coverage of just in general, I think there's poor coverage of people's efforts and triumphs when they reach a certain age. So yeah. for some reason, Ageism. because people are over 50 or over 60 mm. and it's not enough blood and guts and, and Jan's efforts are too good news. It's just not bad enough to, yeah. to make the news. <laughs> That's um, right. You know, and That's right. No people, one died. But then if you hear the stories that Jan's about to share with us, I think yeah. this is an absolute Monty for the mainstream media. So Surely. now today on 100 Not Out, we give a very warm welcome back to the Queen of the Mountains, Dr. Jan Smith. Thank you so much for joining us again, Jan. Pleasure. Jan, it's Damien here. Congratulations on all your achievements. It's, it's wonderful to have you back on. We don't often get people back on a second time round, but uh, your story last time was so inspiring. We're so moved by it, and we're excited to find out what you've been up to now. Jan, give us an update, please, because when we last spoke with you, you just scaled Everest and you just returned, um, and you just returned from, how do I pronounce it, Aconcagua? It was the highest Aconcagua, peak, yes. yeah, highest yes. peak in South America, where you were forced yes. to turn around about 100 metres from the top. What's been happening since yes. then? Well, I've continued um, to go to the uh, doing three climbs a year for the seven summits. Nice. And um, now uh, I'm about to leave on the 8th of December for Carson's Pyramid in Papua New Guinea. That'll be number seven. And I'm wow. hoping to summit that. That will mean that I've now summited five of them. Yes. But I, uh, I miss the Americas, so I'm booked in for um, South America, Aconcagua, uh, which is how the Spanish pronounce it in, the, uh, um, in South America, in um, Chile or Argentina. And I'm booked in there for the 28th of December. So I'm going after Carson's. I'm going to have Christmas uh, in Australia. And then I'm, I'm going to go and have another shot at Aconcagua second time. Then I've got uh, Denali, though. So for some reason, the American mountains um, defeated me. I had no crash helmet on for my 
uh, climb in Alaska last year, Denali, and I was travelling with the HR chap who'd written the manual. And when we got to the fixed lines at the top camp about to go for our summit bid, he said, where's your helmet? And I said, well, it's um, I don't have it. It's stashed, you know, to protect it from bears and moose in the previous camp below. And he said, OK, uh, you can't climb on. I said, you're oh. joking. And he said, no, I'm not. I'm the Occupational Health and Safety Aboriginal <laughs> <laughs> Guide. And he had the manual in his backpack, so he got it out <clears throat> read me the right act. And, and I said, look, we have a saying um, when we get these amazing um, little ads and things from the, uh, uh, Walmart in America with big bums and things, we say, only in America. And I said, excuse me, but I'm going to have to say... Only in America could this happen. <laughs> anyway, I was, I was, yeah, I was so totally um, pissed off that I, you know, came racing down the mountain, and then I spent the equivalent time of the summit nine hours building an igloo, and I refused to sleep in my tent. I said, "No, I'm going to sleep in the igloo," and um, it didn't have a top on it. And they said, "Oh, would you come in if there's a storm?" And I said, "Maybe," because I didn't want to be anywhere near my guys. I was so angry. Yes. And that white heat enabled me to chop up all these ice blocks and build the igloo. But um, I knew I was going to have a meltdown and I'd be crying my eyes out later and I didn't really yeah. want them to hear. So I wanted to be a bit further away in the igloo, which oh, I, wow. which is what happened. Anyway, we, we patched up on the way down and what have you. So I have yet to do um, Mount McKinley again and I'll, I'll schedule that with a different company. I met um, a nice uh, Canadian... In uh, Alaskan, in uh, in the Antarctic, because after Denali there was uh, two weeks at minus forty, and it was oh. the coldest. I've heard people say it's the severest cold they've experienced, and that was my experience. Minus forty. When you breathed out, your your breath just went into like a cloud. <laughs> and it uh, stayed there. It would have stayed there. Yeah. Wow. Oh, well, you're in tents and you stayed in, and then they said, "Get in your gear and come out and experience the storm." So. Um, I did that and you start off warm inside with a warm core and three layers and in fact it's a bit like walking along the beach on a stormy day when you're well rugged up it was quite exhilarating so my gear held up you don't have any exposed skin you know everything is is covered you have a face mask because anything exposed gets frostbite and um, so after that I felt uh, yes my gear is good and, and, and I'm warm in uh, minus 40 uh, out in the weather, so I'll um, now I'll go to Antarctic. So that was uh, that sort of reassured me that my my gear and my uh, circulation were good enough for the cold of Ant- the Antarctic. So well, that's you, where I went in the summer. You have to tell us about Antarctica. I mean, yeah. who goes to Antarctica to climb peaks? Like <laughs> this has got to be a phenomenal not many, story. Not many, if any. And, and I think that's the only way I was going to get there. Yes, oh, it's called. Called Vincent's Massive, and it's just, uh, they say it feels like 5,000 metres, it's just under, but the the air um, uh, is is uh, less dense at the at the poles, so um, it's actually, you know, a bit, bit more oxygen deprived. So that was a fascinating um, experience. You go in a big Russian cargo plane um, and um, that can carry 17 tonnes, and they take these enormous containers in the plane, the passengers sit in the belly. There's no the windows are high up like portholes, and you um, you have some Russian generals out the front, you know, giving you um, little drinks and and sandwiches, 
and there's a closed circuit telly and you can see how the plane on the plane's nose. So you watch the takeoff into the sunset. You fly wow. from um, Punta Arenas, which is the southernmost airport in Chile, South America, that can um, take a, a cargo plane of that, that weight. And uh, you have to step through disinfectant as you get in the plane. You're wearing your, your down gear because you're going to be arriving um, at 2 in the morning in freezing, below freezing conditions. So you rug up with your, your thick... Uh, down here, get in the plane, sit there for four hours, and you fly into the sunset, and it's all monitored on the TV, closed circuit TV. Then you uh, you land on a blue ice ice strip, um, in the at the main base, and um, you think the plane's not going to stop as it slides along on the ice on this long, long runway. Wow. And then they get you out and take you to a little tunnel house, and, and it's bright daylight because it's summer, so you don't you're not aware that it's 2 a.m. in the morning. Um, and they you go to a um, a mess hut, which is a huge tunnel hut with with heating, and they have a a team of staff who stay through, you know, for months through the summer who are waiting for the last plane out. Um, and then this cargo plane loads up with human waste and it brings in fresh food because nothing oh. grows or moves in that, the Antarctic. And um, so they have their little snow machines and things and they load the plane up with waste and bring in the fresh supplies. And then they feed all the climbers and explorers and people skiing to the South Pole in this big tunnel hut. So you have a meal in the middle of the night and then they put you in these very nice two-man tents that have little beds and little stretcher beds so you're off the ice. Um, then you fly in a light plane to the um, Camp 1 for um, climbing uh, Vincent Massif and um, then you uh, then you pull a sled and um, sled up to the next camp. Um, and then you uh, then you have some acclimatisation days, and then you start your climb to the top camp, which is like a kilometre of fixed rope. So that's a, a pretty stiff sort of climb. And then from there you go um, in a kind of arc around the around the valley and up um, Vincent Massif, where it was uh, minus 52 at the top. Gee, far and, out. Um, yeah, the, the wind chill factor is amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. And um, yes, you have you have your face mask, and uh, they didn't quite know what to do with a 69 year old woman, so they gave me a nice guide called Maria or Pontpachi. So uh, <laughs> we actually travel at the same rate as the, the blokes and the youngest Norwegian skier. But wow. Um, wow. yes, it, it, we got the good weather. What are you eating uh, in Antarctica? What what sort of food do you eat in Antarctica, uh, Jans? Is it well, obviously it's not fresh. Yeah, they bring it all in on the Russian cargo plane. And, um, yes, well, some, it is quite fresh. I think oh. they get a couple of flights a week. And oh, so we, right. When we, I mean, we'd summited, we celebrated with steak and... so and, uh, oh, Living the dream. Yeah, and veggies and made to make, make ice cream. And it was in a big pot. And I said, are you going to throw that out? But, you know, the re- remnants. So there's a photo of me with a big spoon eating out of this giant pot, the last little <laughs> liquor for ice cream they managed for us. So no, pretty good food really, and um, when you, you wouldn't need, you wouldn't need an ice cream maker in uh, there, would you? Like you just stick it outside for a few <laughs> minutes, and <laughs> there you go, rock solid. Great, yeah, it'd be great. Yes. Oh, that sounds incredible! Well, it sounds like the most amazing time. 
Yes, it was. And there's a, that's a relatively easy one. There's about a 90% success rate. And on that one, I think there were, out of 100 people, there was only you know, a handful who didn't summit. They got a bit of altitude sickness or ill or something. But that's one of the easier ones. Yeah, there's, there's sort of the easy ones and the hard ones, I think. Now, you mentioned on our previous... Oh, sorry, Jen, I was just going to ask you. You mentioned John. in terms of the, the hard ones. Um, you mentioned on yes. our previous interview with Aconcawa, um, mm. the rolling rocks, which you said are harder to scale yes. than the snow due to the I grip. I found that, yes. So yes, three, it's called, yep. So mm. what do you do this time in terms of this is one that, you, that you're climbing for the second time? This will be your well, sixth summit? Well, I discussed summit. it with the guide, you know, sort of analysed why didn't I why didn't I make it, you know, that extra 100 metres, which was because I said, I know I can summit, but I'm not sure about getting down. <laughs> And, um, you know, getting up is arbitrary, but getting down is compulsory. So I said, couldn't mm. I sort of spend the night up there? And they said, no, you'd freeze to death. So, um, you know, I was persuaded to turn back. Um, and so this time, so we analysed, you know, what, what I needed to do, which was leave an hour earlier. It's a bit like the advice for me to climb Everest that I needed to start earlier because I was going to be slower and have those extra hours, which is what I did. Um, and so this year for Aconcawa, I've got a um, different company and um, I'll sort of say, well, last, you know, what happened last time and I'd, I'd need to leave earlier. And um, I'll, I'll be more, um, you know, I was sort of sitting around snacking and stuff. I mean, I didn't kind of get into my head that, I, that time was important and this time I'll just keep moving and steadily hope it's not scree, hope it's ice or something instead that you can grip on. And if it is scree, I tried to cut across and, um, you know, there were boulders moving. Everything was moving under my feet and I was going two steps backwards for one step forward. But the other people went sort of around the edge and the, the, it was firmer. It, it was longer but firmer. So I would, if it was that route and there's multiple routes, um, I would, you know, take take the longer but firmer route. So, um, and, and train a bit harder. I didn't really take it seriously. I thought, you know, after Everest, everything would be easy, which wasn't the case. They're all a bit difficult in their own way. Jan, um, there's a lot of people out there going, this woman, every year she keeps on getting more incredible. How does she do it? Um, I couldn't do that at 50. I couldn't do that at 55. I couldn't do it at 60. You're nearly 70. What do you say to people who are scared of using their bodies rigorously as they get older? Do you tell them just mm. to get over it or just to shake it off or what do you do? Um, well, I did Achilles for my 70th birthday. I'm 70 now. So um, I was hoping to have knocked off all the seven summits by 70 and they're all, what does it matter? You know, another year. Yeah, <laughs> Not it's really just, much different. Just another year. So, That's it. so I planned to be Achilles in, in Africa and mm -hmm. Tanzania, as they call it, in um, May for my birthday. And I was. And we, as somebody, the, the um, African leader managed to find seven little candles and give me a little we had a little birthday sing song and dance and I offered oh, to do beautiful. a tabletop dancing but they said oh no so <laughs> <laughs> didn't, have to, didn't have to go forward with that one <laughs> wow wow they turned that down I can't believe that Jen mm. <laughs> that's great um, now Jen is no, it, is it, yeah sorry go on it's not different you just keep going um the body isn't so good. You know, I have to, well, I don't bother to train now, but um, I train in the garden. I'm restoring a, a garden to pre-settlement conditions, and that's my training. But oh, um, nice. you just you just keep, keep at it, I suppose, and um, keep booking in. 
and and keep doing it. Yeah. Now, Jan, so, we've had um, we've been interviewing recently. We just had another interview with um, an 84 year old nun from America called Sister Madonna Buddha, who's been competing in the Ironman triathlons um, over in the states and throughout Europe. And um, you're both very similar in in your determination. But there's a question that I have to ask because it seems to be that it's something that you've both um, experienced and it's something that everyone that as they get older seems to experience. And that is discrimination because of your age, uh, Mm. to a lesser extent your gender, but more because of your age. So my question is, does it improve for you now that you've summited so many uh, mountains? And do you think that, actually achieving things allows that discrimination to dissipate or do you feel that it's it's always there? Uh, it's there. Uh, they think they're taking a risk. They think you're too old to be able to do it. I just booked in with an Indonesian group to do um, Carson's Pyramid leaving, you know, next week for that. And um, when they got my passport, which reveals your age, they sort of, you get these alarmed emails back saying um basically oh my god but uh you said oh we notice that you're 70 um you'll have to be 100 percent fit for the um you know for this trip it's the hardest in the world say the indonesians of this mountain that's that's a mere 5,000 meters and um the, but being a doctor you probably kind of know what you're doing they don't realize i'm a phd and don't, i'm not a medical doctor um and so then they they said, can you, you know, have you ever climbed anything before sort of thing? And so I sent my climb, you have a climbing CV, which is, you know, like 12 years long and has quite a few 8,000 metre peaks in it, including yeah. Everest. So after that, they're relatively reassured. And then they, they Indonesian company um, emailed back and said, oh, no, it looks like, you know, you'll be fine. <laughs> and yeah. Just be 100% fit. And we had a 73-year-old who did our you know, the difficultest mountain in the world some years ago or something. So, um, yes, well, Antarctic, they made me get a medical certificate. The um, doctor from the Antarctic uh, wrote a letter to my doctor via email attachment, and I took it along, and he, he wrote my local doctor, who told me to stop, you know, I shouldn't be doing it years ago, and then sort of reneged and said, oh, well, you enjoy it, so keep going. And once I'd done Everest, he... He never questions it now, and my blood pressure apparently stays the same every year. So he, what is um, what is your blood wrote, pressure, Jen? If you don't mind me asking, what is it? Oh, it's uh, it's apparently excellent for my age. I asked the same question: you know, "What do these numbers mean?" Yeah. And uh, the local doctor said it means it's excellent for your age, and it's the same. He, he did it twice because he didn't believe it was still the same as last year and the year before, <laughs> and the year before sort of thing. Because my my so, grandfather, right. who's ninety five, had excellent blood pressure, but they said because he was ninety, he needed to go on blood pressure medication just in case. Oh, how silly! Mm. <laughs> how about that one? Yeah. So they haven't done that to you though, which is good, and you're much no. younger than that. So no, so the Indonesians didn't have enough English to request a medical certificate, and I didn't bother to explain that I'm a PhD, not a medical doctor. But never mind. So you, I just you sort of just have to take it in your stride, really. But they'll think you can't do it because you're too old, and you know you just do it. And uh, just a bit, I tell them I'm slow and steady. Yeah, and that reassures them somewhat. Yeah, I bet. Now, obviously, with the the next question from that one would have to be: Do you think you'll ever stop mountaineering? Is it something that you can fathom actually giving up or stopping? 
Yes, I'm looking forward to stopping because... Um, <laughs> I didn't expect I'm, that answer. <laughs> no, well, once I've knocked over the seven, you yep. know, and I don't know how many goes I'll have to have at the Americas. Hopefully I'll do them both. Um, well, one in January, Aconcar, and that only leaves um, Vincent Massive in, in, the, in Alaska, which is a very interesting place to go to near the North Pole. Mm. And um, I'm uh, now involved in a conservation project of... Um, some two and a half acres of land on the peninsula and um, it's what they call a remnant so it's never been disturbed with um, uh, chemicals or clearing and so on so there's a lot of um, wonderful uh, vegetation and flora and fauna and threatened species and as I'm gradually um, we've had it surveyed and I've had advice from um, experts about how to cope with the inundation of woody weeds from the English variety of you know Cotoniaster and Italian buckthorn, which have just were taking over from the natives, and I'm just gradually now I've had the advice about how to deal with them, clearing them, and what are appearing are wonderful species of native orchids. We've got six species and all sorts of um, uh, plants that are on the threatened list nationally, so they're just spontaneously regrowing as the weeds are removed. So that's a, a thrill to me. And um, as soon as I've finished talking to you, I'm going to be out there <laughs> uh, with the wheelbarrow and running up and down the hills with the mulch and um, with my knife, weeding knife and poison kit, um, doing some clearing a couple more meters. Well, I think it's just wonderful that you have a really you have a really great project, a goal, a, a vision, or a purpose, and I think that's what's beautiful to hear is it it's not as if you're retiring from mountaineering and then doing nothing sitting on your butt watching tv all day you're actually got a really <laughs> wonderful uh purpose that you're already attracted to as soon as the the seven summits are complete so you know i mean got to commend you on that because from everyone that we've listened to from everyone that we've interviewed for everyone that both damien and i've researched the having a life of purpose and having something that really gets you out of bed each day is pretty much the number one um foundational principle of living a, a wonderfully long life so yeah. well done Jan you're well done, an absolute Jan. joy to listen to and it's just fabulous you're a great role model for for people like Damien and I who are in our 30s and um well, thank you thank you oh, I thought you were going to leave me in my 30s there for a second Marcus <laughs> <laughs> but you're a wonderful I'm, role I'm model, still Jan. working I, I commute to Melbourne a couple of times a week to um to work uh dandy Nong's a suburb nearby and then consulting rooms at home so i do that but wow. and I, then i drive back so i can jump up early in the morning and straight back in onto this project <laughs> well you definitely don't believe in the concept of uh, retirement or early retirement then do you no no i think i have the best of both worlds and i feel fairly privileged you know to have that definitely yeah. work. well done well well done again, Jen. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us. Remember, folks, we would love to hear your feedback, and there is so much awesome uh, wisdom that Jan's shared with us on this episode. You can provide it in any number of ways, but the best is to go to our website at thewellnesscouch.com forward slash 100 not out. Also, if you've liked this episode, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Check out thewellnesscouch.com. We can view the entire range of wellness podcasts available, including the number one show, The Wellness Guys. So until next week, continue to make the rest of your life the best of your life. Hi, it's Damien Christoph here. If you're loving the Wellness Couch podcast, then you'll absolutely love our special once-only free four-part webinar series starting Thursday, October 30. 
Join me and my Wellness Guys co-host plus Marcus Pierce from 100 Not Out and Inside the Champion's Mind as we dive deep into the hot topics of wellness over four consecutive weeks. Brett Hill will kick us off by showing you how to be fab and fit in five. I'll be presenting What the F and discussing the big bad F words when it comes to food. Lawrence Tam will leave you inspired with a magnificent mindset and MP will reveal his 10-step formula to mastering your life. These webinars are absolutely free and they go for an hour each and they take place every Thursday night from October 30 until November 20. To get access, you must sign up. So simply go to www.thewellnesscouch.com or check out The Wellness Couch on Facebook. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.